Um, I'm also, it's, it's live right now, so you're on the air. We go ahead and clean this. Uh, this is what kind nice. of beer you get? The champagne of beers. The, the highlight? Are we living it? I think we already have, we have one of those in here already, too. Oh, nice. I, um, yeah, like, I love this, I love this beer in summer. Yeah. Not only because it's cheap, but because, uh, when I lived, uh, on the Upper West Side, Upper East Side, uh, I lived with a guy who was like a shorter or a cook or something like that, and every single night he'd come back with a um, six pack of highlight and would give me one, and which was like basically the highlight of my day, my jobless impoverished. <laughs> this, this is your Pavlovian response. To exactly. That. And it was also the, the coldest part of my day because it was like. You know, I had no air conditioning. It was like a million oh, yeah. that summer. It was like it was like literally you're cut out of an ad, like those ads that you used to see on TV, where it was like um, in like Harlem or like this urban environment, like you're sweat coming from your brow, and you're like all of a sudden high life opens and life gets better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Except for instead of a bunch of like bikini people, it was like somebody offered me a valet job, and I'm like, oh thank, oh, thank God. God. Look, at, look at this. I got. <laughs> this is an Amazon deal. <laughs> nice. And speaking of other Amazon deals, today is Prime Day. Oh, and it is. And so using my robot that I've used to wiretap my house, yes. I ordered dog treats and I ordered Soylent because <laughs> it was like, it was so cheap and I was like, I just have to order Soylent via this. Those are definitely both made at the same factory. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> the same everything you need. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Just like. Shit. Come down, yeah, shame be chill. Just be cool. Be chill, bro. There you go. Nice. Yeah, so. check no. yeah, the table. No, do cheat the table. Don't do that. The table's like, easy to get you. Do you want me to put you in the timeout? Settle down. So, what are we doing today? Let's, let's, right. uh, Welcome to uh, Infinity License, everybody. I'm it is a podcast that... You know what? I'm asking for it this week. Yeah, you're asking for it? I'm yeah. still... I don't think... in You don't count as a person, though, so still nobody is asking for it. Nobody asked for and... Uh, some people are listening to it. Where I don't know if people are talking about it. Uh, last I checked on the stats, we had some fans in uh, Forest Hills, Queens. What up, Forest Hills? Home of Spider-Man. What's up? I've, I've spent many, many minutes in your... Um, oh, maybe it's the person that I know in Forest Hills. What's up? <laughs> Shout out to Lenny's friend in Forest Hills. Uh, Congrats on your revamped uh, stadium. That's pretty nice. Um, this week we're going to talk about... Um, we got... Uh, my trip to Ohio and the bomb. Yeah, the bomb. Was it the bomb? No, I wanted to bomb Ohio. <laughs> I was like, we should use this. I'm here. My friend, uh, my friend used to be. Uh, he had to go travel for work regularly to Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, that's where and, I was. Oh, you were in Dayton. Yeah, yeah. And and the well, maybe you know this fact uh, that the um, on the road signs of Dayton, their slogan is Dayton, easy to and through. <laughs> <laughs> they even know that they're barely able to. There was like, there was no. Just looking at the, on the highway, the traffic was just like, I was like, this is what it's like to drive out here. This is nuts. It's like there was we saw I saw one other car on the highway, and I was like, this is insane. Um, so Ohio, we're gonna talk Russia, Trump, and uh, maybe potentially Donald Trump, Trump Jr.'s like race to be the fucking dumbest guy. On the <laughs> I don't know. He's got a lot of close competition. Like, I know. In, in that race, those guys are running in a wolf pack, we call it, <laughs> in the racing biz. Yeah. Like, they're, 
It, you know what? Their race to be the dumbest guy on the planet is a lot like the uh, like hot dog race in baseball game. They're all really slow, but they're running right next to each other because they can't go that fast. So, like, you know, like yeah. the, the, at, at, so, uh, at some point, someone's going to win, but you kind of wonder if it's predetermined. Um, well, it's like, or like that guy, what if they're like, I think Donald Trump Jr. was just, I think Donald Trump Sr. was essentially like, like the He's guy. He's a pace car. He's a pace car. Like, but also like Donald Trump Jr. is like, have you seen the new Brave Stadium at SunTrust Park? They have no. this, like their new sixth inningers. They give somebody a head start. They give any fan a head start to run the length of the warning track. And then they have this guy who must be like a former Olympic or like track star or whatever, and so he like he gets a, a whatever second like 10, 15 second head start, oh, like a really good one. Like they like they, he they makes it to probably, I would say I've seen fans make it to like probably almost like left center field to center field every time, and then this guy just takes off and inevitably every time the, the track star wins. <laughs> so it's like you're just watching this guy like gain ground. Is he dressed up as a like a food or a president? He's dressed up as no, he's like a, he's dressed up in like this, like he's like, I think it's like that character from the um, Incredibles like Frozone, or like the, he's dressed uh, up in like the, in the pure, like full blue Yeah, outfit. that's pretty mobile though. I mean, yeah, he's yeah, made yeah. him dress up in, in the hot dog costume no, no, no. so that would, be, that would restrict mobility. No. Yeah, those people are always really athletic. Uh, Margaret knew someone who um, uh, was doing that job and he was like a I think a USC track star and he was doing it for um, the uh, Padres oh really yeah do you remember that's gotta be that's a dope job <laughs> I, yeah I mean if you like being in a ton of clothing in yeah, the summer, yeah yeah that's true it's not even clothing it's just a cage yeah yeah it's a cage version of clothing um, yeah. do you remember at Fordham there was uh, I don't think this was my senior year but um, there was an incident where the mascot the ram beat up a kid on Eddie's <laughs> No, because the <laughs> so I was, it was it was the year after I graduated. Then. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it was like so yeah so so much had the campus so abuzz that you like couldn't have escaped it. Yeah, yeah. I would have remembered it uh, <laughs> fucking ten years later. But no, the the guy who you know they they get to be in the costume is yeah the friendly cartoon ram, but he's like you know six five yeah jack, yeah some little jack defensive end, and um, some drunk kid on Eddie's. Like tried to fuck with him and the man just wasn't having it. <laughs> he, fucking, he beat the shit out of the kid. He threw down his gloves. Yeah. And uh, the kid was like wailing as his like limp body was getting pounded. You didn't see this happen though. I did not see it happen. I was out that day. I was actually getting food in McGinley at the time, but when I came out, um, there was like a whole like there was a crowd that had gathered, and I just had been told. Sadly, I missed the ram getting taken away by security. <laughs> That's like well, it's like Mr. Matt this year flipping people off. Like uh, yeah, and which is just like. I'm so pissed. I think every Mets fan was pissed that that guy got fired because it was in the middle of them losing, like, a devastating game. Like, they were losing at least by 10 runs or something like that at home. Game they should have won. I think it was against the Padres, actually. Like, a team that they should have been, like, beating up on. Yeah. And, and, like, the Mets were like, the Mets, as they always do, try to act like, like, well, that kind of professionalism doesn't stand in the Mets organization. Every Mets fan was like, yo, that guy was, like, the avatar for all of us right now. <laughs> like, that's like, give him a raise. Yeah, do you know, do you know what fairies you're talking to? And also then the other thing, uh, to put a button on that, was that I told my mom growing up that I wanted to be, um, to be Mr. Matt. And then she was like, you can't be Mr. Matt because he doesn't make enough money. And then, <laughs> That's not true. It's not true. No, then I found out they did, like, SB Nation or somebody did a report on, like, mascot salaries. And Mr. Matt was, of course, the highest paid one oh, as the oldest wow. mascot. And it was six figures. And I was like, I said it immediately to my mom. I was like, mom. 
fuck you. <laughs> I was like, I was hey, like, mom, fuck you. This is my only dream, and you squashed it. And she wanted me because she's my mom is Irish, but she thinks she's a Jewish mother. She, she wanted me to be in sports medicine because she knew that I, I like sports, but I wasn't good enough to play. <laughs> she sat you down early on. Yeah. Um, next topic. So after we talk about uh, uh, sidebar, uh, our R- Russia Trump. Uh, the, uh, yeah, I have an idea about uh, governmental accountability. Um, Lenny's GAO. It's uh, I'm gonna um, have a wet dream during it, so <laughs> that just to make it a little bit more entertaining. If so. you just hear, if you can hear Lenny have a wet dream during that, <laughs> it's a lot of the wet dream that I have generally sound like a lot of rustles <laughs> um, and uh, a lot of like dialogue from Night Court. <laughs> I just recite it, and that's what it sounds like. And then uh, we're gonna talk about. Partisanship, and um, we'll see. We'll see how we're doing there. And then, yeah. So before we get into any of this, though, I want to mention that um, I want to get your review about the first uh, Chris Christie. Uh, you, you you wrote a story about. Um, I, I don't actually know what it was. Was it? It was about Chris Christie's potential next gig as like taking right. over from Mike Francesa. Right. And for our listeners in uh, Djibouti who probably don't listen to WFN as much as they'd like to, shout out to Djibouti. Mike Francesa is the thing that's funny about that is not only is he like a drive time, like kind of everyman style like radio host who yet even though he's an everyman he still has such immaculate hair that yeah. he he forces his staff to give him the headphones that go down underneath, oh, underneath his, his chin, chin like a yeah. feed bag that they just detach oh my uh, god instead of actually real headphones because he doesn't want oh fuck up his head you know what I mean and so now he's retiring. Uh, to go blow blow all his money on horse racing, probably, and um, which would be hilarious. Like, I mean, in terms of people who <laughs> would be funny, real. yeah, funny if they ended up poor. My grandson. Well, then if the if the the career trajectory goes like that, and then Chris Christie also follows that path, I will then I will die a happy person. Yeah, maybe that's just the path. That's the, the curse of the seat. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it has to be something even like grimier, like dog, ra- like dog racing, not even horse racing. <laughs> like, How like, is a um, mad dog doing right now? I don't know. I don't know what Mike in the back. Uh, He's uh, probably going to run for governor in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so yeah, so for our fans of Djibouti, Estonia, and uh, Turkmenistan, uh, yeah, Mike Francesa is this uh, fat piece of shit um, who hosts a show on WFAN, which is an AM radio station. It's a sports show. It's not a, it's not a talk show. It's no, specifically a sports talk It's a sports show. call-in show uh, where basically people... Blue-collar workers and people, drive-time radio listeners in the New York... Fellow High Life drinkers. Yeah, fellow Miller High Life drinkers. This episode brought to you by High Life. High Life, the champagne of beers. The champagne of beers. One of the funniest comments, I had a uh, roommate one time who we were getting ready for a party, and she texted. I was like, what do you need? And she's like, the beer of champagnes. And I immediately knew... Andre, <laughs> you want Andre, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> you want the pink champagne. Um, or uh, so anyway. So he he does he he's just a host of the show, and basically his job is to for people to call in and harass him, and then like he cuts off their phone line. Like so, basically some asshole from like Mass with Queens will call in and just be like, you know, I think I should run the the Yankees, and I think that's a good idea. And he's like, oh, cut him off. Well, let me tell you something. Don't Tommy and Mass Pith. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing, and so, so he does that basically the whole time. Uh, and and he's also it, it's also Mike Francis, very off putting guy. Yeah, he's, 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 Mike Francis is a person that he has. He's a an interesting character because I've never met anyone growing up in New York my whole life. I have met many listeners and fans of his show. I've never met anyone who likes him. Does that make sense? Like people, lo- he's, a, he's a hate listen for like almost. It. No, like, I didn't know that people like. 
most people will just even Yankees fans and people that are like he's he tilts. Can you imagine what Mike Francesa sounds like having sex? Oh, I don't know if I should kill right now. Um, but uh, so then, so then the thing is, he's retiring to go bet on dog racing or whatever it is that he's going to do. Um, hey, Seamus, shut up. We're going to send you to Mike Francesa's dog fighting farm. And um, and so Chris Christie has fallen so far from grace that he is going might take this job. And I wrote a piece when I first heard that that was even just like speculation. Like this guy who thought he was going to be Attorney General of the United States, at least. You know, if not president of the United States. Uh, like, Which he probably could have been. I mean, if he ran in 2012, he would have stood up better than 40% chance. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Right after like, Sandy and all that stuff? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, I guess he would have been campaigning then. But anyway. Um, to have – to go from that – and not only – even – not forget the aspirations. He is currently a governor of the densest state in America. Yeah. And uh, he's like a two-term governor. And he's currently – like – now going exploring his talents for Drive Time Sports Radio. Um, and so the first person to call in, and I won't go over the story of, everyone knows, everyone is in, it's been well covered about him going to the beaches that he shut down, uh, and it just uh, kind of like a giant middle finger to... And we a, talked about it last week, as yeah. if anyone listens to yeah. two of these episodes and, contiguously. Um, and so he goes, and then so his first... Pilot episode on subbing in for Mike Francesa. Somebody, Mike from Montclair, New Jersey. Mike, if you're, please, I will find you and I will give you a big kiss on the lips. Because what you said is like, and he likes that being one of those Montclair. Montclair, yeah. Um, so he just calls into his, the first thing, which is what I speculated would happen in the piece I wrote, is that everyone is just going to call in and berate this guy. Hey, you fucking <laughs> fat ass. How about you take He's your fat, drag your fat ass over here and see what you want to cut. You're saying that ironically, but that's exactly what the guy said. He said, he's like, if you don't, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, he's like, hey, Christy, your fat ass can go and drive to the beach that everyone else has to go to if you got to shut down the state park beach. And then Chris Christie just cuts him off and says, he's like, yeah, whatever. I like, I like to hear from communists in Montclair, New Jersey. And first of all, we also know that Montclair, New Jersey is not full of communists. <laughs> um, it's like well, democratic socialists. Yeah, DSA. Out, big, big DSA uh, advocates. But um, but yeah, it was just it was just a real moment. I'm just like glad that it's almost one of the, it was one of those moments where I wrote that. It's like I almost felt like I was like, am I? Like messing with some black magic, where like my my dreams, like the voodoo doll that I have, that like is only specifically works on Chris Christie, is like materializing. Your and actually, keyboard to... is a voodoo doll. Yeah, that's but... why I need you to write some like penthouse stories and like, <laughs> <laughs> dedicate it to me about Lenny. <laughs> yeah, sorry, me. Uh, Lenny and his five roommates. <laughs> Dear penthouse. Uh, <laughs> the funny thing about this too is like <laughs> giving. Uh, <laughs> Being so, Chris Christie. One of the things that Chris Christie is kind of known for around here is that he has, in an attempt to prove that he's like a real Republican, you know, because he comes from what we like to call Jew country in the Republican Party, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 Wapland, yeah. Uh, he, I think that he's always had to kind of feel that he had to prove his bona fides, and um, so he cut basically like there was money that the, the feds apportioned for. A badly needed infrastructure project. Oh, for it was sure. going to be a tunnel, and he canceled it. And and then they tried to to um, claw it back. They're like, "Well, you're not using it for what we gave it to you for, so you got to give it back." Yeah. The point is, Chris, Chris, and then that and Bridge. He was groomed, was, he was groomed by the Koch brothers. To do that. He was because that's when he thought he was going to be president. He the Koch brothers were like, "You have to be the fiscally responsible." And this is right after the financial crisis. That could have been one of the biggest 
infrastructure projects right up the when people in New Jersey needed and New York needed construction jobs, the people were hurting the most. Uh, and he could have been like the next, like he could have been like a Republican, like Roosevelt by like, and he was just like, no, show me that he was on 60 minutes. There's a famous one. He's like, we don't have the money. We don't have the money. It's like, yeah. Okay. Chris, like you and your like balanced budget. It's like the state of New Jersey, like issue a bond. You guys are going to like be solvent. It's not like the state of New Jersey is just going to go. And go, it's uh, infrastructure. Yeah, it's yeah, not it's like, even Medicaid, which is right. like, a completely different set of yeah. totally valid defenses. It's something that rich people are going to use. Rich people are going to have people that come to their fucking wage slave jobs easier yeah. with this. Like, it, it is something that is a winner on all fronts. And he canceled it because of this shit. It would have made the Northeast Corridor, like, it could have, like, been a real foundation of, like, the Northeast Corridor being, like, the economic powerhouse of the United States. Like, and, and, uh, and it still kind of is, <laughs> except for maybe Silicon Valley. Or, or Hollywood. <laughs> I don't know, Seattle. Or Man, Seattle. Yeah, Seattle's yeah. up and coming. Basically, all these products have been brought to you by Seattle. Everything we've Every, Yeah, including highlight that. Yeah. yeah. It tastes like the Quackoodle spirit. It was, it, was brewed in, it was brewed in Milwaukee, but it was shipped to us via supply chain organized by Jeff Bezos. Jeff uh, anyway. Bezos, as we call him. Yeah. Uh, and so to give people that are stuck in the fucking insufferable traffic that he is very indirectly deigned if not caused a direct line to call that asshole who's responsible for your traffic during drive time is yeah. actually the most responsive that government has ever been it's po- it's like poetic it's it's you really can't um i actually hope he takes the gap i, mean, I like, hope so too i hope I that's think like, he would he, i think he actually would be good at it i mean like yeah but that's that's what i'm saying like it's kind of he serves the same he's just like a lightning he's just now a lightning rod for like it's kind of like a smart movie so like that's what mike francesa is like he's a lightning rod for pissed off like Yankees, Mets, Giants, Jets fans to just kind of like – or Knicks fans to like just like vent and then also like pretend like they're like playing armchair GM. And they're like – like I've, like people will call and be like, hey, the Mets should take a trade, Jacob the Grom, like the only good person on the Mets right now. And he's like – and like and Francis was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. It's also hilarious because – A lot of people are stupid. To be fair to my Francesa. People are pretty. Oh yeah, the people like yeah, like like, a lot of the people that call them are also dumb. So it's just like I've I've called. You ever call on sports radio? I've done it a few times. I called to um. Well, I called the Fordham show a lot because I knew a lot of those guys. Like Ruko, when when Ruko and Bobby and uh, Justin Shackle and those guys hosted. I would when I, I in college I would do it because I knew them personally. Yeah, you know? no, I, I've called. And Fordham uh, Show was the oldest. WFUV's was the oldest like radio call-in show in New York. It was like that was where really? the idea started. That's why like at WFUV, I think that's why WFUV has so many like legacy. That's why like like sports broadcasters like Bob Papa and uh, well, he's, Tony Reale. He's the main. Um, who he's well whatever we can talk about Fordham yeah. uh, sports radio legacy later. So anyway, yeah, uh, it, it, it's I, I hope it happens. Um, Okay, so uh, you took a trip to what were you doing in Ohio? Yeah, so on to the next thing. Uh, to Ohio, I was going to my cousin's wedding, which was in Middletown, Ohio, which is outside. It's basically in between Dayton and Cincinnati. Uh, Middletown, Ohio is also the subject of uh, this book, Covillology. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I realized that I started reading it last week because Meg finally finished it. And, uh, oh, God damn it. Um, so I finally finished, um... Is that that bitch? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I finally got my hands on it, and I'm looking at it, and Bookmark then... mark in the very center of the book, I like it. Yeah. Definitely read this one. No, actually, I'm, I'm exactly halfway through the book. <laughs> so I picked it up last week, and you can see on the invite there that it's Middletown, Ohio, and I didn't know that the subject of this book was where I was going. So I That's Meg, so funny. So Meg, Meg gives me the book and then I start reading it and I'm like, wait a second. And basically it's about, the book is about 
like how basically Ohio, southwestern Ohio's uh, like main economy after World War II was like driven a lot by Kentucky labor. So like there was no jobs going on in Kentucky, uh, and so like at, um, I think it's called Akron or Arc. Was it? I don't know. It's the steel company. Akron. Oh, Akron. Not Akron, Ohio. It's oh. it's like Ak- <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's called. This author looks like a uh, prey away the gay victim. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he was. And, well, and he, uh, but anyway, so it's about, like, basically this steel comp- steel mill company that just went into Kentucky and was like, hey, there are, there's jobs and economic opportunity in Ohio. And they talk about how, like, basically then that company was merged with uh, Kawasaki and the steel mill went away and, like, the death of industry in the Midwest, blah, blah, blah. And now, like, everyone, and this is the reason why everyone in Kentucky and Southern Ohio is... Uh, hopelessly addicted to opioids because um, <laughs> the opioid factory moved in. Yeah, exactly. They should. That be. I feel like if you gave AI control of like government policy, they'd be like, <laughs> "We are going to move an opioid factory. Like we're going to start producing all the source. <laughs> yeah, in the, in the uh, Cuyahoga Valley, and everyone's like, "God damn, that's brilliant." <laughs> um, kind of like uh, like a subsistence living that they make. Just, yeah. Well, we only make what we what we need. We, need, we, only, we only need X. We're simple folk around here. We only make as much oxy as we can feed our kids. <laughs> um, and it was it was pretty evident. I mean, it wasn't as bad as it was made out to. It was, but it was also pretty evident. Like the death of industry in Middletown, Ohio, was pretty. Um, it was kind of like. Uh, can you get me one? Two. Yeah, let's celebrate the let's, um, yeah. demise of American heavy industry with some more beer. Um, it's how it's done. And so, yeah, so I went to Middletown, uh, and of course, so it was kind of, it was just like, I won't, it was, it was interesting because like my cousin kind of did the reverse of what a lot of people from Ohio do, which is move to New York to, my cousin is from New York and moved to Ohio because he was like, I got an idea. Big fish, small pond. <laughs> I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna bat with the weights off. I've seen bicycles that got ten speeds on them. <laughs> um, but anyway. So he. Uh, so you went to Ohio for this wedding. So I went to Ohio, and um, and then I went to the one thing I went to. So I went there on Saturday morning. I go with my dad to the only thing to do in Dayton, Ohio, is the U.S. Air Force Museum. So I like military stuff. My dad does. My dad and I are like, okay, like let's go to the Air Force Museum. Drive up. Oh, by the way, the Air Force Military Museum. Guess what street it's on? Bomb Boulevard. Close. Bong Road. <laughs> B-O-N-G. That is, that is really close. <laughs> um, and so... Bong Road. So I was like, that's hilarious. And then, uh, so my dad... That's what it's named for? Because it's like, man, this shit this is, is like a fucking nuclear explosion. <laughs> um, so we go to the Air Force Museum. It's all organized in these giant hangars. And it's, you basically walk your way from, like, the earliest of American military flight from, like, World War One. Um, through World War II and then through, uh, like, the Cold War era and Vietnam, and then you get to, like, the cool, like, modern stealth bombers and SR-71s and all that kind of stuff. So we do that, um, but then we walked into, like, I guess the way we did it, we accidentally walked into the World War II section first, and we walk in, and there's immediately two replica models of Little Man and Fat Boy, um, and, like, right there, and there's, there's a guy who's doing, like, kind of a guided tour, and I'm, like, instantly my... I was like, uh oh, like this is gonna, I'm gonna get in a fight with somebody <laughs> because he was, I come in towards the end of it and he says, well, well, he's kind of explaining how the science of it works a little bit and then, which is fine, and then he gets into, 
Uh, which was tolerable. Which was tolerable. It was like, I was like, this fucking nerd kept going on about But, but then he boss. says, then he goes, um, he goes, well, most historians say that the war would have gone on for three or four more years had we not dropped the bomb. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that is a gross oversimplification. Also, like, I, I can't stand that, like, historical reverse analysis where it's just like some like sabermetrician of history just goes back in time and goes like oh yeah well it obviously would have just continued for three or four more years well, that's like, what a historian does what are you, what are you talking I, don't about? Know, I don't think they can I, I don't think there's like you could retroactively saying that like oh the war would have gone on for three or four more years I think it's kind of like that's like three or three I've, I've that's certainly longer than I've heard I've heard like 45,000 more troops would have died you know which is I think pretty materially different than like it could have gone I mean theoretically if it was now uh, it could have I mean I, I, I'm gonna leave in the story like but I think that the, the point of the point of a, a historian I mean there's a reason why it is to do that figuring there's a reason that they're confined to academia um, that's like a stock phrase whenever anything is like decided in actual events. It's yeah. like, all right, this will now be fodder for the academics. You know, right, this could right, be something right. that they debate later yeah. on. Yeah. And that even the debate, like, or the, the term phrase, like this is an academic argument. Yeah. That's exactly what they're there to do yeah. um, is try to figure out what the alternative would have been. But I mean, granted, that so the idea that like, you know, like, what also, would have happened so otherwise. Also saying most historians, I don't think that's true. Well, I, I, don't think, I, think, I, think, I think three years is long. I also think, well, I don't think I also don't think most historians would agree that the the bomb was necessary to end the war immediately. Yeah, uh, I, I've I, also heard I that. think that. Well, I mean, there's there's a complex like 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 in the the most recent what's called Dan Carlin is that yeah, it? Uh, where he talks about um, you know like that there was a, there's a political like there was a lot more political motivation than just like like so. I say then I'm kind of muttering under my breath. Also, oh, the funny thing about this is this guy's saying it directly too. So it's a bunch of essentially. Type two diabetics, uh, myself and my dad, and then a Japanese family. Uh, what I hope, uh, I hope they were in a Japanese family, but part of me hopes they're they're an Asian family. And he was saying it like so cold, to, like it's like this is the war crime we committed against you, <laughs> and and and, uh, and like not even not even blinking an eye. Um, and and then so the other thing that I was like, I was just saying like that's not true. There's a lot of debate. Like there's a lot of like nuance about like whether the bomb was really what ended the war. There's like there is speculation that the Japanese were already ready to surrender Truman and like a lot of people in the military particularly the ones that developed the bomb were invested in demonstrating it and showing that like we had we had control and like creating essentially like a US global hegemony with with the bomb um, but anyway I think also yeah like there it, it falls into a few different like you're right like it is an academic argument in yeah. any direction because it's like you know, the, first of all, I've heard um, justifications from people that I trust would have been um, uh, very on the side of not dropping it and, like, of trying to peace build some other way. Yeah. I've heard that, uh, people like that defending it. I'm thinking of two people in particular. One was a professor I had at Fordham who was a professor of, like, peace studies. Another one was just a, a history buff who was, like, very anti-establishment and stuff like that but also agreed. Um, that, agreed uh, for, for dropping it. For dropping it. For, that it was – that it was – Necessary. I think that one of the things that they they rest the argument on is that I and I I'm, I'm totally speaking out of out of like yeah, order yeah. here, but like that the Japanese like the, the that the emperor was like was um, irrational to some degree. I've also heard other people say that they were about to give up the emperor that he w- that they were going to basically concede uh, totally. 
I think that what's interesting, though, is like, well, there, there, there's so many interesting but like, they lost, if you, okay, if you pose to the average American, we're going to save like 100,000, let's say 200,000 Japanese lives, I think it was like 100 in each city, roughly. Yeah. If you were going to save this many, but it's going to be like a more, but, but there's this, and this is a very distant thing. Right. You can either save this many Japanese lives, but... What, or you could commit this fucking atrocity, this right. like this, this this huge road bump on the smirch on the on the map of human history, and you're gonna have the most decisive victory anyone's ever seen. You know, like that we won you're that war so, so decisively yeah. <laughs> that they they just figured out that they're like, okay, we want to have a military again. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. how much we won that war <laughs> yeah, with yeah. that shit. Yeah. And so you know, obviously, I don't know, like. My personal morality, I don't know. I would well, have to – I'd have to know more about it. But like I, I think that if you pose that to the majority – in terms of like the popular – because what this is really about is not – like what you're talking about is not really about whether Harry Truman made the right decision. You're talking about the popular conception of one of the worst right. acts ever committed. Well, I, I speak to that – sorry to interrupt you, but I speak to that in particular because it means a lot to my dad – why I got an argument with my dad about it. Because my dad was fed the propaganda. My, my grandfather served in the Pacific mostly in non-military roles. Like, so he served late in the war. Was He was conscripted in, I think, 1944 um, and, um, and served – in the in the military, essentially as a jeep driver and like kind of like a prison guard, like in the Philippines, um, and apparently we like apparently some like ha- POWs yeah, for for Japanese prisoners of war, um, and um, and so to my dad, what he what the narrative was told to everyone was that well by doing this we're sparing American lives because an American land invasion of the island of Japan will be. Um, it will Very be costly. Will it be costly? But in reality, though, Japan at that point, had, I mean, I think to be the lens of the history that I've read, is that like that's a pretty much at this point considered by a lot of people propaganda, and that like the Soviet Union had just entered the war, I think on like August first, or like in the beginning of August, or against Japan. They had not formally declared, oh, and I, I think a lot, that. yeah, they had not formally declared in, until like the very very end. Like, like they were literally in the war against Japan. For like two weeks or something like that, and, and uh, they and the, there would have been a blockade. Like Japan is an island that need the, the reason why they were such an expansionist empire is because they need they knew they needed resources right, to right. like, and that's why like they considered the American like the American uh, embargo on trading oil with Japan as like essentially the act of war. Like that's to Japan. Like that's their like not saying that this is right, but that was their Pearl Harbor. They're like by by FDR saying we're not going to trade oil with Japan. They were like, oh, well, we're essentially at war now because we can't sustain this war effort without American oil. And, and, and I know they had super expansionist – actually, if you ever watch the um, Godzilla, like the original – or like not not the original Godzilla, but there's like you know Japanese-produced ones from like the 70s and stuff. Mm-hmm. They're still talking in, that, in those about how Godzilla was sent to Japan to stop it from taking over the world because it would have otherwise. You know what I mean? Oh, they, really? They yeah. definitely had that cultural pride in it and that's yeah. kind of – that goes to the idea of. By the way, we totally should have just dropped a bomb that like was one of those Joker guns that had like a bang, like, <laughs> in it, and it just you unfold it and it's like, hey, tech is gonna come in like forty years. Just hang on, <laughs> you low resources but smart country, like you're gonna kill it. 
Um, <laughs> you don't need to do all this crazy, insecure, like, short guy stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't need to be the short guy at the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to start a fight. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, but, you know, like, but given that there was that, and then, there, you know, like, we, we have the whole myth here about this indefatigable kamikaze soldier and all this stuff. And, and I think that there is something to well, that, the, to that, and so the idea was, you know, uh, you 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 punch a guy so that he doesn't get back up. You know you're not, and and or, you know whatever. The, or that this is the, this is the theory. And so and so uh, if we can deliver a knockout blow right. as opposed to just and you know walking away peaceably and like going our separate ways. Yeah. Would you rather not do that? And I think that there is something that spoke to the to the imagination about that. The the numbers of, of casualties and stuff like that is is something that is probably hotly debated. And I think emotionally to most people that when they think about the A bomb is very secondary to the idea of this fucking. Just the death blow, right? And well, that's, that's funny you mentioned the kamikaze thing because it's like the way the museum is organized. Like the second you walk into the World War II section, it is specifically talking. Like they have like a little video that's playing on loop that's just about how like like explaining like the the Japanese concept of like kamikaze divine wind, how the Japanese soldiers had um, such pride in in defending the homeland. I also think those guys, as far as I know. I think the a lot of kamikaze pilots were hopped up on amphetamines, um, <laughs> just like uh, a lot of uh, Nazi soldiers. Because it was awesome, though. Because it was awesome. Yes. <laughs> not because it was actually related to the war. Might as well go out on a high note, um, <laughs> and, and literally high note. And, um, but and like talking about the concept of bushido and like this, like this, the idea that like protecting the Japanese island is like the most sacred thing you can do. Um, but anyway, so that was that. So so we'll move on. But like, I, oh, but the cool thing that uh, I saw at the Air Force Museum to put a button on my trip to Ohio. Oh, also, my cousin's wedding was fine. Uh, it was nice. Did the wedding take? Um, Did it stick? It stick. It stuck. Um, but like the one thing at the Air Force Museum, I will recommend you seeing that's not propaganda related. Well, actually, it's probably more modern propaganda related. Is I saw the size of what a modern drone Reaper. Do you know what the Reaper is? The Reaper is the. Um, the Reaper is the current model drone, and I thought drones were like something that were the size like I thought they had like a fifteen to twenty foot wingspan. Oh no, yeah, they're the, real, yeah. This thing they have it aimed at you like right when you walk in, and you're just like, that's how big those things are. <laughs> like, it, like it's the sixty, what is it? Yeah, 65 foot wingspan, and it was just it was like armed with missiles to the teeth, and just like a gun that you would know it saw you in half, and like with like two bullets. Um, Damn. And I was like, oh my God. USA. USA. I was like, I do not envy being on the receiving end of one of those in Yemen or wherever the fuck they're. You also don't envy being on the controlling end of it where you have to go to your daughter's soccer game later tonight. You just got finished blowing up a convoy, some of, which included a couple of BBC embedded journalists. Oh, God. You just clock out at the end of the it's day like, and go try to live your life and <laughs> not fucking uh, you know, shoot yourself up with heroin instead. Well, if you want to get that heroin, though, you should go to Middletown, Ohio. Go to Middletown, Ohio. You know, I, I talked to one of my friends was uh, um, uh, he was an army ranger in, in uh, Afghanistan, and he was saying um, that like I was asking about PTSD, and he and I was like, why do you think the PTSD was so much less talked about? You know, is it that it was as pronounced and less talked about in previous you know military adventures that yeah. we've had? And I I don't know what his full nuanced thought is, but one of, one of the things he said was that. Um, you know, they used to. If you, if your grandfather had to steam ship back, basically, right, yeah. from the Pacific Theater, yeah. and you'd be on the ship for like a couple weeks, you yeah. know, talking with people and kind of, and not only that, but compressed quarters, you right. know, and going through this shit. 
Um, whereas literally drones now are the opposite. I mean, you right. are a, an operator in battle Virginia yeah, somewhere, yeah. you know? And then you go back to your, like, yeah, like it's a kid's soccer game where you're, like, like kind of McMansion in, like... Yeah. yeah. And you're supposed to just be normal. And, and like, even even if you go through, you know, Germany or something like that on the way back, you know, your your trip home takes a couple of days. And, yeah. And, and you're not really... You're not... It's, it's There's no safe space to open up with those people, you know, the people that went right. through it with you. And so, anyway, that was his so theory Lenny about why. So, DeFranco is an advocate for safe spaces for veterans. <laughs> um, well, one that, well, that spurred, we can move on to the next thing, but that spurred a thought. I was talking to Chris's um, mom's boyfriend, who, my friend Chris's mom's boyfriend, who served in Vietnam, and he was saying how he was a Marine in Vietnam, and he was on tour, and then he, he got like R&R, and they sent them back to San Diego. And so they go to San Diego, they like rented like scooters and like took them to the beach and like bought some beers and were like him and his marine buddies were just going to chill on the beach like and they had been in the bush 24 hours prior um and so they're just getting beers chilling on the beach and then some some just like just like guy ready to thumb skulls cop uh comes up he's like you can't park those fucking scooters here and then uh then he just walks up and pops him so like so like the uh oh my god why am i uh, blanking on it on his punch name. violence. No, no, no. So, so like I'm blanking on beach his, his, beer. His, so Chris's mom's yeah. boyfriend punches the cop in the face and cracks him. And they take him right, and then he takes him right to court. They get into a fight, and then the judge is just like, the the judge is like, well, you know, like wait, hold on a second. Like when when were you last in service? Like what are you doing here? Like where? He's like he's like they're like literally 36 hours ago, and then the judge is like case dismissed. Like, they probably the saw a lot of that yeah. kind of violence there. I mean that yeah. that judge probably did. And the cop was like the cop showed up, and the cop was so pissed, and it was like uh, it was really funny. The cop Lou, saw uh, Lou. His name is Lou. Oh my Lou. god, Lou. Lou. So Shout Lou. Lou. Yeah. All right. Shout out to Lou, Vietnam vet, good um, guy. You know, they're supposedly uh, one of the. Um, I guess the origin of the Hell's Angels was that, like, it started off after World War... Like, in, in World War II, they had these, like, pilots, basically, that were just going... And they had a bombing target, but then on the way back, the the it was kind of an understanding. It was just like, dude, you know, on the way back, you can shoot at whatever you want. Like, yeah. You know, you're not... Like, whatever you see, it's it's fine. And so they kind of had free reign. These guys are, like, you know, 22 years old. Right, right. No education. Controlling multi-million dollar at the time, probably, you know, yeah. craft and just blowing shit up. And so they get back, they're somewhat disenfranchised, and so the way that they kind of got their gearhead instinct out was basically form this biker gang. And, yeah. and the thing I was thinking about that recently was because, um, and this actually does take us on our next topic, which is Russia, I, I was kind of thinking the same thing about like that, maybe that's what, well, put it this way, it's interesting that the opposite is what happened with like Russia's modern cyber hacker, hackers, right? right? Like their cyber infantry, because... One thing that's really convenient about the whole Russia meddling the election story and stuff is that I don't know if this is an artifact of the media just trying to make Russia into more of a convenient boogeyman, you know? It's kind of the the suspicion I have whenever I see the word Kremlin, Putin, who's a, an individual human man, right. Russia, which is a you know country that has a proud history behind it, you know, like all these things, inter- and, and then like KGB and all stuff. All of these concepts intertwined um, synonymously. I always get a little bit um, curious, and I and I think, but so w- when I see the idea that like Putin's hacker core, right. you know, is behind something, I, I think of like, well, this is sort of like these are guys. This is the opposite of the the, the origin those original Hell's Angels guys. These are guys that started off as all a bunch of loose ends, you right. know, full of agency, yeah, like still able to go hack into things and like. Right. Wreak havoc, 
And then basically they, the government just entices them with like, hey, you can still do that, but do it under right, yeah. our auspices. Yeah. And so it's this bundling of, of frayed ends as opposed to, you know, the, the military creates this uh, group of people, you know, young men who are and like... And they just have to kind of violence. create their own culture when they go back to... Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it, it unifies them. And, and so I, I don't and I don't have an answer for that. I don't know how unified the hacker core is. Well, I was going to say, do you think like... Do you think the hacker core of the Russia is motivated? I would imagine they're just mostly I would employees. Yeah, I would. I would imagine they're mostly motivated by like financial incentive. Well, yeah, yeah I, they're I, probably I, just hired, but they yeah. still have the skills that means that they could do. I mean, how do you think they're recruiting them? Well, know? yeah, with money. Uh, I mean, unless unless well, they're training them, but if I don't think, I don't think that Russia's hyper nationalistic. Like you know, what I mean? like I don't think Russia has enough of like. I don't think there's enough nationalist cyber hackers. Out there, you, you know what I mean, like Russian nationalist cyber hackers to get to go out there and be like, you know, anyone who's smart enough to do this kind of stuff would also be smart enough to understand that, like, like we're uh, not voting for motherland Russia, you know, like they're not going to do that. Yeah, they would see through the artifice of all. Yeah, and be like nationalist bullshit. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, uh, what 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 is interesting about the about the idea of them as a as a sort of monolith is that we have gotten so used to as anyone who has dabbled in. Um, the Ron Paul, yeah, Ron Paul, the dark revolution. <laughs> just, just to be clear, we are fucking joking. Yeah, we, we were joking. We, we, Brian and I uh, concurrently went through Ron Paul phase just enough to see what it was like. It was like walking into a weird club at like a party you don't really want to be at, and you see a bunch of weird stuff going. You're like, ah, I'm when, when I was at Cleveland for the RNC, I saw like what the libertarians have become, and they're all just like they're the. They're just like they're, I saw this group of like twenty two, like 20, 20 to twenty two year old assholes, and even nerds like us are like, we'll beat you guys up. Like they're just kind of like pudgy, like pasty white guys who are like, no, we believe in uh, the anarcho capitalism, <laughs> uh, and, and, yeah. and we mices was the real way to go with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. like they got shit. Yeah, they, dude, they I, they have right to be pissed off. They got passed over. You know, there was a couple yeah. of years there, like a few a few years ago, there were a couple of years. Where I thought that that was going to be the future of conservatism in America. Well, non non interventionist, isolationist, uh, and pre libertarianism. Yeah, uh, which is the, what drew me in. Truthfully, what drew me into the Ron Paul campaign was the we not you never volunteered for the Ron no, Paul no, campaign. no 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 no. But I I enjoyed I read, I, read, I, read, I read one of his books and I read the, the, what the Revolution. No, it was just like it was actually just a, it was just a history of sp- his speeches and to Ron Paul's credit, it was a history of his speeches to. Um, to Congress about inter- like about foreign affairs, and he was a non. He's been a non-interventionist since. And so it's a like, history of speeches about how the insurance market is our modern equivalent of Darwinism, <laughs> and anyone who gets house gets flooded should die. Um, Ron Paul hates federal flood insurance. <laughs> I remember when you got into Ron Paul, and you're. In fact, I think I mostly learned about him initially from you. And your thing was like this guy predicted in the '70s a lot of the sort of right. acts of foreign policy stuff that yeah. was at the time still. I mean, this was I think when Bush was still in office, yeah. and um, the axis of evil was like a live concept still, and and yeah, and and like. You know, granted, like Paul Wolfowitz predicted, quote unquote, you know, the axis of evil, you know, a few years after that, but he also right. helped create the narrative right. around it. Yeah, so exactly, like, that was yeah. quite the same thing. But yeah, yeah, no. So I mean, and, and uh, you know, we, we, we all have respect for Ron Paul and like his, um, his, uh, at least integrity. Well, yeah, think, like, the thing is that, like, even if you disagree with Ron Paul, I do. I will ultimately. Yeah, he stayed true on. He stayed, he stayed on message yeah. and true to his values. I, yeah, I think it's. I think there is not. There Can't be said about Rand Paul. I don't think necessarily. Yeah, no, Rand Paul's is, is a lot more. Rand Paul's, I think, doing doing a lot more of where he saw his dad probably fail in terms of uh, having, 
you know, not having enough political savvy. But um, uh, but anyway, to, to the, one of the things that that features prominently in the Ron Paul sort of. Uh, regard of where America's gone wrong is that we don't declare war anymore. And that in the Constitution, um, which is, you know, in his mind, like this Moses thing uh, handed down from God, yeah. we're supposed to declare war on states. And the truth is, is that at first, if you want to declare war on Iraq, you know, if you want to talk about the AUMF under which Bush and now still fucking President Trump yeah. <laughs> uh, is like, um, uh, is, is prosecuting these foreign endeavors... Um, it is troublesome. Like, why didn't? Why couldn't they get Congress to declare war on the state that you're trying to invade? But there's also equally as much like the argument of like, well, there's not really a state to go after. I mean, like, unless you're going to declare war on the Islamic State as Congress, you know, and then that, that declare war on the caliphate, <laughs> the concept of the caliphate. <laughs> By the way, this is a really this is a really interesting angle on the A bomb thing. Um, the A-bomb and, and the, the dropping the bomb, like, the, the, the criticism you can have of it is that it um, was too, uh, it was unnecessarily violent, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, its toll in humans was too great for what it achieved us. But at the same token, by the same token, you can look back at that as uh, nostalgic for a time when we wanted wars to end. Yeah. Now there's just, you know, it it's can go like on forever. We've yeah. casually been in Afghanistan for like three or four times as long as we've been in World War Two. And, you know, and part of this, I think, is it, this mission creep uh, is what Ron Paul was saying about, you know, like, they don't declare war anymore. That's, yeah, well, oh, sorry. Well, where, where I'm going with this is that the, with the Russia thing, you know, we, we as a culture don't really know that much how to, how to comprehend cyber warfare. Right. It sounds pretty not threatening to us. Right. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, so I mean, it shuts down nuclear power plants and stuff like that. If they blew up Indian Head, yeah, that would be bad. If Indian it shut point. down planes in flight, what? Indian Point. Indian Point. Sorry, I grew, I grew up near it. Indian so Head is the uh, is the test pattern that used to be on like yeah. TVs when our parents were growing up. But um, yeah, no, there's a lot of things that like a nuclear that a nuclear a cyber attack could do. But it still sounds like, oh, my phone's not going to work. It's something. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, not, yeah. It, like, there's not like a loss so of life. Like it's an really so my, my point is, we're still culturally yeah. mapping out the contours of what, and the, and really assessing the threat of what a cyber attack would look like. It's interesting to me, and I don't really have any other read on it besides this. It's interesting that it's starting off our our access point to cyber warfare is starting off at a point that real warfare left long ago, which is t- unified with state power. Yeah. It is Russia doing it. It is the Russian right. hacking corps doing it. Yeah. It's not a terrorist... Like, putting together a, a military force that's not a state actor like Al-Qaeda or really like or ISIS, ISIS yeah. um, is difficult because you got to transgress state lines, and that is right. something that, con- that, that, that countries will try to defend. Putting together a, a stateful... A coalition of hackers would be really fucking easy, yeah. and you'd think it would be the default. But it's interesting that it is now. So, and, and, I, and I think it's probably meaningful if I could interpret it somehow, which I don't know what it would be. That it is being wrapped up in the Russian state is doing this to us. We could theoretically, in other words, declare cyber war against the Russian state, and it would be valid based on the way that it's being presented to us. Like this is Putin's, you know, hacking core. That's, well, that's it's like, this. I mean, we've already, I mean, Israel and the United States already, I mean, like on Iran, like, you know, or Iran rather, like, you know, like, it's like, um, like the, yeah, get uh, it right. What, what's the, Stuxnet. Stuxnet and all that stuff. Like, you know, it's like, that's just kind of like how it is. I like, well, now that your question poses to me, what I think is interesting 
is that like what are these if they're not if they're beholden to like nationalist interests or they're beholden to financial interests you know, like whatever they're beholden to like, couldn't this hacking core just also if they like ultimately accumulate such like w- massive power couldn't they just be like non-state actors just kind of be like well actually like like the Edward Snowdens of the world or whatever be like actually Russia you work for us now like we it's like you yeah. know I mean if, yeah. if Putin dies or something and, like his cult of personality disintegrates. They could totally just stay a thing, you know, stay, oh, yeah, in, stay in tech. In power. And, and they're probably also doing a lot of freelance stuff, too, you know? Like, oh, yeah, for sure. And we'll have like, fucking with people. Hold on, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm pretty sure the dog is, like, destroying something here. Right now, Brian's going to check on his oh, dog. God damn it, dog. He, uh, he has been destroying something. He's a good dog, though. You're an asshole. And we're back. We are uh, back. <laughs> Brian's dog is destroying the couch. Destroy, destroy the no like the couch the hundred and forty dollar uh, stupid Petco um, dog bed I got him. Oh, he hates being confined. It's a, it's a flat bed. It's just a nice cushion that he could have sat on. But he's just destroying this. He's like uh, he's rebelling against this cage. Mm-hmm. Like revo- he's a revolutionary. Anyway, the reason we're talking about Russia is because a lot of so let, let's get into our topic, which we've been okay. dancing around for twenty minutes. So. There's a lot, of, a lot of shit going on in Russia. It's kind of a basic topic, as in like basic biatch. Me, yes, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't like really focusing on it as like a political, as a political topic. Um, I think that it's a distraction. I think it's being exploited much right. the much for for clicks and ratings, much the same way that Trump's candidacy itself was. Uh, it's just a self perpetuating machine. The problem is to me, and I don't know if you feel the same way, it's not going away and like they're they're keep like every time you like I refresh my phone basically, there's like something else has happened that's like, you know, some piece of innuendo. If they had any kind of united front, any kind of wherewithal or sensibility, they would know to just deny, deny, deny. But they keep acknowledging stuff. Like for example, to, so right now what's going on is that Donald Trump Jr. today <laughs> today found out, uh, basically by his own admission, that he keeps changing. He showed the emails. He tweeted he, the emails. That, that that he that he completely knew that uh, the Russian state was um, was hacking uh, or, or had had compromising information on Hillary Clinton. And they offered to him. He was like, "Oh, totes love it." You know, it's like fucking metrosexual uh, son of the, of an even more foppish metrosexual. He's like, "Hold dad. on, let me, let me send you a free copy of Mike Cernovich's book." <laughs> <laughs> how I fake and how you can fake. And, and, and so anyway, all this stuff keeps accumulating, and I really would kind of love for it to go away for a number of reasons. I don't want President Pence. Because then they're just going to get a fucking, their tax cut done. Like, I don't give a shit about He's going to encourage an AIDS epidemic. <laughs> That's what he did in Indiana. Like, the most rural state ever. He let an HIV AIDS epidemic go, go like, completely south by just trying, suggesting, I think we should just pray. <laughs> Instead of being like, oh, no, these people need, like, uh, like prep and, like, a, like actual medicine, you dumbass. <laughs> or, or did you miss that when you couldn't be in a meeting without your wife? <laughs> yeah. That was uh, – the, the doctor who was talking about the need for this public health uh, intervention was female, so you were not allowed to be there based on the book that warns you about monsters and now you become one. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I don't – I think there's a lot of pitfalls of it. I think it's a very big distraction it's it's very it's very pop culture as opposed to like any kind of policy focus. There's no policy involved in the Russia intrigue. The problem is it just keeps going and like 
you know, if you pull on the on the, the thread and it just keeps unraveling, I totally am a fan of the fact that someone's doing it. I don't like the fact that like James Comey has been like lionized. I don't well, like the fact I, that Bob Mueller is being to, lionized. Yeah, like every asshole in DC that had to go to like a Comey watch party. We oh, like, like a party was like inviting. I'm like, maybe we should just get rid of. It. Like, I was like, maybe somebody should hit DC. With the bomb. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm like, I'm like, these people are the lamest people in the country. You're gonna go on 11 a.m. on like a Wednesday or whatever it is, or Thursday. The worst Here part is everyone that's at a DC watch party to watch the fucking Comey hearing where he reiterates something that he wrote himself. And by the way, possibly broke laws. While he was doing that, every one of those people is going to move away and complain about DC culture. Yeah, yeah. And so that, that aside, but also, it's like, the, just, so like I tuned in the, the, for a second to watch this James Conner. He's like, well, the president asked me to come for a private meeting, but I had a date with my wife. But I said, you know, I'd rather hang out with my wife because she's, I like my wife. And I was like, dude. <laughs> I I hate you so much. That, that <laughs> kind of reminds I didn't know he said that. That reminds me of... That's, um, I'm not kidding. That's like... That's paraphrasing, but that's very close to what what was said. Uh, no, he actually... And if you go back to the transcript, he's like, three, five, four. <laughs> no. Crushing bones is my fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> that giant doofus. Gigantic doofus. Fucking Shrek asshole. You know, let's not forget, too, like... And I, now this is turning into a referendum of James Comey, but that's fine by me. Yeah, that's fine. Um, maybe he's listening to this. He's got a lot of free time now. Yeah. Uh, he lost his goddamn mind at the end of the election. Like, the stuff that – because I wrote an article at, toward the end of the election about how the FBI was acting completely unprecedented. Everything they were doing was unprecedented. Like, um, not only – I mean, the, the famous uh, instance is that they he, he wrote the letter to <laughs> – he wrote the letter about Hillary Clinton. He's like, hey, uh, something happened, and to be fair, I should check it out. Anyway, just thought you like, no, bye. <laughs> Basically, ding, ding dong dished the goddamn election, dropped this turd in into Congress, and, and, and set the entire, uh, yeah, so no, that was, just that was the moment when I got that New York Times notification about, like, Comey, like, reopening and saying a letter. I was like, that was, like, the, one of the darkest despair moments where I had, where I realized, I, like, I wasn't sure. I, honestly, I, was, I thought Hillary Clinton was still going to win at that point. But at the same time, I was like, "Well, no matter what, this like this doesn't end November 9th. You know, I was like, I was like, even with this, I was like, this is not. Even if Hillary Clinton wins, we're not going to hear the end of this until the end of time, and Donald Trump is just going to buy a television channel and just talk about how he was screwed out of it and probably make a lot more money than it. <laughs> um, and uh, which I think is ultimately going to be like one of the legacies of the way that we regard. Like, I don't know what what's going to happen to Trump presidency, um, but like. You know, I don't, and I also I, I kind of reject the idea that like Trump is part of like a movement. I think that he's part of a, a reaction. He's just um, a good. Sh- he's just putting on a show. Well, yeah, of course. He, he's, yeah, or as, as Matt Taibbi put it, which was perfect, is that he's the first guy. He's the only guy in the field that realized this is just a bad reality show. Yeah, and full of ugly people. And all I got to do is be a good, kind of a good showman, and you can and you yeah. can win at it. Yeah, yeah, but but I mean, Trump Trump the man is is pretty much irrelevant. I mean, uh, he. <laughs> What did he do today that was really stupid? Oh, he he said that um, – I think he said – I don't even think it came out – that he was bragging about how uh, at the G20, he suggested to Vladimir Putin that they collaborate on like a joint cybersecurity authority. <laughs> He's like, Which, do, you want, 
Do you want to know? Do you want to know what we're doing? You want to just, want to just come to hang out with Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll You guys come to my place. We'll have, <laughs> we'll have some the, coffee, Pete. Uh, one of the, uh, <laughs> argu- or the articles uh, about, uh, about this whole Russia thing recently started off with, like, the New York watching the New York Times, uh, you can say what you want about like the Upper East Side rich people that like read the New York Times, but sometimes because they're so august and refined, they have a really funny way of trolling. Okay. And an example is uh, like in this article that came out like yesterday or something. It was about Donald Trump Jr. basically completely being now guilty of uh, abetting collusion. If not, yeah. you know, like I don't think that he, they were active. They're just fucking stupided their way into making a mistake. But um, you know, it, it was setting the scene for like you know the, the state of Russia uh, as far as the Trumps go, and it was like before Donald Trump set foot in Russia uh, in like 2011 or whatever, or 12 uh, or whatever it was. Um, he tweeted, "I wonder if Vladimir Putin will be at my show, and if so, will we be best friends?" That <laughs> <laughs> was the first one. Not- <laughs> He's so fucking... He's just a fucking desperate child. He's just like... Oh, it's just... I mean, it's just like the... It's, I think, with Donald Trump Jr., I mean, sadly, I think we're just seeing, like, the end stage of, like, multi-generational, like, kind of, like, emotional abuse, like, where it's just, like, Donald Trump's father. It's like he's Do like, not forget that, uh, yeah, his... Yeah, Trump's dad uh, basically forced his brother to kill himself, to drink himself to death because he wasn't a killer. Yeah. So he probably had to prove he was a killer of himself. Yeah. And then, uh... Yeah, and then uh, it's not the same family, but like Charles Kushner just hired a prostitute to bang his brother-in-law so that he could torture towards no specific end, just torture his uh, who was it, his sister? Yeah, yeah. like these yeah. are not people. Oh no, they are they are monsters, they're, and that's one well, again coming full circle to also the beginning of the podcast where it's like. <laughs> Chris Christie also doesn't have a position in this in this administration because he went and, and kissed Trump's ring and then and then like he was like what were you thinking man like Jared Kushner who just like oh damn it the dog just farted uh, oh. <coughs> um, I haven't smelled it yet no you'll, you will so like so that so coming full circle to our friend Chris Christie who's been driven down to drive time radio because he thought he was going to be attorney general at least by endorsing Trump and then it's like hey buddy do you think that you know, you know how you locked up Jared Kushner's dad and you know how Jared Kushner is like for some reason like the, the owner of New York Observer and and married into oh my god don't what the fuck are you doing did he shit no Ooh, now I smell it. All right. Anyway, let's let's move on. Yeah, no, the, 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 the the rivalry. We should actually go into that one day. Like the rivalry between yeah, yeah. Um, between Christie and, and Kushner, and like how yeah. how that endeavor. Yeah, we'll do that. That's a story out. for another podcast. Yeah. Once um, we find out the the end of the arc of, of Chris Christie, he's gonna he's gonna land hard. Um, uh, but anyway, so a lot of beef. So, but uh, I think back. I agree with you. I agree with your original point on. Uh, I think the whole Russia thing is a distraction. I don't understand why. It's like Russia is just like this petro state at this point, like petro and natural gas, like kind of like klepto economy, which I guess maybe you could argue the United States is as well. Um, but like, no, a lo- not, in this, I don't, not in the same, not, not, no. certainly not to the, you know, the United States, you'd argue. Not like, in the same way. We have flaws, but they're not the same. It's, it's, the United States may be a little bit more of a corporatist oligarchy or like yeah. a. Um, but like the certainly Russia is just like a kleptocracy with just like a kind of like just power players in in resources. It's an authoritarian state. Yeah, it's an authoritarian state. Um, and 
I think that, and I just think I well, I guess it's just like I think that's the thing is that like I think everybody, and it's kind of similar to what we talked about. I think on the first episode where it's like, I think like I think what I like not I don't like this about the Trump administration, but I don't like the Trump administration, but I like this element of it, which is it is kind of like pulled back the veil on reality, which is just that like. The emperor has really no clothes. Like yeah. it, it's like it's just like kind of like even these people who it seems like this part of this like elaborate like kind of almost house of cards or West Wing kind of like plant. Everyone's got this like no. It's like that makes sense in the narrative like writing kind of like sense because that's how your brain works. But like the world is just like kind of a chaotic like uh, place. Yeah, it, and it's it, yeah. And it's easier to, like, pick. It's like, oh, it's Russia. But it's like, oh, really, actually, it's, like, a cascading, like, really, like, a lot of different, like, kind of individual... But, you know, the thing is, the problem is that... Okay, yes, I, I agree with that. And I and I agree that Trump uh, offered a good ratification of that worldview. The troublesome part is that in that worldview, what the conclusion you lead... Like, there's plenty of precedent for that worldview. The conclusion you lead to is that... Because the world is anarchy, because life is meaningless, because we're all, you know, uh, tiny, uh, you know, splotches of paint on an infinite canvas and nothing matters and only strength matters. Where you end eventually, if you're smart and you understand history to some degree, where you eventually land is that that requires us to have some sort of realist worldview yeah. or, yeah. And, and, and engage in, in uh, realpolitik on a global scale. We need to impose our will. And there's plenty of intelligent people. You, I mean, Henry Kissinger's a fucking monster, but he's at least smart, and he understands right. that, like, because there is no meaning to anything, because we only maintain our strength, you know, our virtue is only uh, at, is only possible to the extent that we maintain our strength. Because right. then we define what morality, you know, what right. the moral right is. We, we can steer the world, and we can only maintain that if we're powerful. I'm sure that's something that Henry Kissinger would undersign. And um, all this involves a strategy. Like pursuing this involves a strategy. And the Trump administration is not evil in the way that, like, the Bush administration was or, or you know, totally amoral. I mean, Henry Kissinger, is like, the things that he did were immoral, but he was amoral. He was just on the side of, of perpetuating the state power of the United States. Right. They're not, do, they're not at that level even. Like, they right. – the, uh, the, the thing that, that, that Trump and all of the, like, innuendo that he sort of, like, rode in on um, – the only the only point that it has you and the innuendo you wrote in on <laughs> <laughs> it, it, is is that uh, you can't believe anything and there's and there's no there's no nothing I I felt I I like the fact that Trump revealed that you know yeah, like about yeah. about the system uh, one of the the best expressions of that that I heard was from um, at the uh, in at the fiftieth anniversary of the um, JFK assassination it was like in twenty thirteen yeah. And um, I was watching C-SPAN, and um, there was a guy... Two C-SPAN fans. Here's <laughs> the podcast. Hey, we got to get the third one on as a guest one day. <laughs> um, it was, uh, his name was Hugh, Hugh Asbury or something like that. I forget what it was. There's some author. Anyway, he was there. He was a journalist that covered it for the Dallas Morning News yeah. in, in the 60s. And he was there reminiscing about it. And he was totally anti-conspiracy theory. He was right. fully on the side of Lee Harvey Oswald killed uh, JFK. And he was like, the reason people don't like that, the reason there are so many conspiracy theories is because people can't handle the idea that a nobody changed the course of history. But well, of course, we know. How did he get from the book depository to the movie theater? Did he, did he sprint there? He was a pruder. 
if you align that with the number of the alphabet, <laughs> yeah, and then you smoke a recipe. cigarette on the grassy knoll, and you'll see a little CIA guys in the mafia just going after. I won't get into JFK. No, uh, we should we should do a JFK. We'll do a JFK. For those of you who don't know, Brian has spent approximately the time that like. You know, like, girls that are smart, but they also really love reality shows? <laughs> the amount of time that those women have spent on reality shows oh, is like Real Housewives of Atlanta. Yeah, like, they're, like, totally, like, down to just talk for about, like, how yeah. they don't like one of the characters. That's the amount of time that Brian has spent on JFK conspiracies in his life. So we should definitely dive into I that took a college there. course on it. Uh, thank you, Bruce Andrews. Um, yeah, like, JFK, Vietnam, Cuba, um, and uh, changed my life. I wrote I wrote that paper. I got, it, was the, it was the only, I think that was the only class in college that I got a straight up a <laughs> I was like a three because he didn't read it. I was like I was like three three. Oh yeah, he didn't read it. Bruce uh, Bruce Andrews commented. Uh, I think halfway through, I wrote a term paper that I took Adderall and stayed up for. It was. I also wrote my JFK paper on Adderall in, in twelve hours. I wrote fifteen pages on the JFK. Nice. I think I yeah. I had to write, yeah, fifteen pages. It must have been his uh, his sweet spot. Yeah. Um, it remains to this day the longest I've ever stayed up. I was writing it about China. Um, for whatever class I had with him, and I was no you about know what? Black China, Black China, <laughs> yeah, Rob Kardashian. Yeah. All I want is for Hulk Hogan to come smack him around, <laughs> and then for the tape to get released, the tape of that to get released. Um, we're already over time. You know what? Let's just keep going. Let's I mean, keep like, going. I mean, I, I, we're, we're not, we don't have any, we don't have any audience to satisfy. If you if you no, want to got, stop, we now, got our you, fans in Djibouti. We got our fans in <laughs> Azer, Azer, Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan, as I call it. I call it Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. Um, we definitely have our fans. It's not in Asia, but it's Asia. <laughs> shout out to Forest Hills, great stadium, home of Spider Man. Uh, shout out to why Stan Lee from uh, Forest Hills. I think he's from he's from Queens. I think. I think actually he grew up in Midtown. Wow, that's pretty different. Um, Forest Hills is Queens. I know, but the, but like it's, Forest Hills, like Mass yeah. is Queens. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but I think he Stanley is from New York. I think he, uh, I don't know. Anyway, if you wanna if you wanna tell tell your friends that you listen to this podcast, you can just shut up now. Stanley, get full credit, Stanley. Yeah, but we're just gonna keep going because bonus credit. Comment, Azerbaijan. <laughs> on SoundCloud and we oh, what will, are we going to give them we will send you I will send you point zero 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 one bitcoin Damn. I have that I have that amount I'm not kidding dropping the fucking fifty six dollars what would you think that is I think it's point zero zero one bitcoin it might be with point zero zero one zero what is the price at now it's like twenty three hundred is it twenty three hundred dollars yeah baby Dude, that is such a a validator of you know of the of the monetary expansion opposition. You know, going back to Ron Paul, we can talk about how like he's crazy and like he's got all these eccentric views that yeah. when really you know they're just like outside of this Overton window. But yeah. but man, dude, like they. <laughs> I was with, I went to, with Nate to Burrito Box the other day. Yeah, like, classic uh, Burrito Box. Oh, by the way, I, I emailed with Mark Kenton today too. Uh, <laughs> did you see that my uh, quote was in the was the bottom of his uh, his goodbye email? No, dude. All right, we'll talk about this okay. after. We'll yeah. talk about this after the, after the podcast. But um, Burrito Box is a place is a, is a burrito place beloved. I'm sorry, beloved burrito place that, that I fuels went to. Ram Man drivers. Yeah, and it fueled me. I, I was probably eating. Literally half or possibly more of my meals there at certain points in college, and um, 
Uh, still one of my favorite burrito places in the city. It, it set me well on my path to being a burrito connoisseur. By the way, uh, last day of uh, Ramvan, I, I went to the cashier and I said, do you recognize me? And he did not. He had, never, <laughs> he had, he had but absolutely no fucking idea. He just had another faceless Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. Are you yuppie? Yeah. <laughs> but their prices increased a little bit. They, they, I think that like the price of a um, uh, ground beef burrito no pico, uh, which I get, has increased like to $12 or something. Oh, really? And, and it was like ten. Nate and I, yeah, Nate and I were counting on this, and I was like, "Do you realize that there's been like a threefold increase in the money supply since those days? When ten years ago, when we were buying the shit for the first time, there they had well, they, they have this ad, fucking burrito, yeah, <laughs> the QE Ford Effort yeah. or, or, or uh, QE Eternity. Um, the, yeah, they've created like like three. Uh, yeah, three times I think what what the money supply used to be. Buy Bitcoin, buy Ethereum. Dude, I know it's it's. I bought I bought Bitcoin at a much lower price than it is now. <laughs> yeah, no, and like I, you know, I'm not like an the Fed person only because I think that like saying that saying that uh, you you at some point don't want to continue taxing the saving population by uh, through inflation is not the same thing as saying you want to end the Fed because I think the Fed there's like good evidence. Uh, some of which comes from Andrew Jackson, by the way, that um, uh, well, from his blunder, that the Fed is actually a really necessary tool of monetary uh, control. Yeah, and you need it. You need it. You need it to just provide stability. You need but, bank. dude, yeah. they have that. I remember when when Bitcoin first blew up and it was a huge buzzing topic. It had just crashed like twelve hundred dollars. Now you're saying it gained a thousand dollars on that. They're creating too many dollars. I, I mean, they're like, well, whatever. We can we can talk about monetary. Well, it's also, I mean, like it. Yeah, the Bitcoin thing. Yeah, that's another episode. Let me. Uh, let so me, we've, we've come up with good episode ideas. Good, yeah, good episode it. ideas. In we're we're episode. bad at being succinct as we can as we as we bear on our. Uh, let's go for another ten minutes because I want to talk about this one topic. And then we can. We can this is the money government account. Yeah. Right so now. so this yeah. is the idea. Um. So. Okay, we talk about um. Right now, it, well, I don't want to start at the very beginning. Of this concept. Like there is uh, a divide right now that is very nebulous between what is conservative and what is liberal. Um, those labels increasingly don't mean anything. Conservative, conservative, I think, is still valid. Liberal is not uh, really. It, it's not. It's not that much about redistribution, particular anymore. It's about redistribution plus increasingly, like the Democratic Party, as evinced maybe by like, you know, the fact that they cannot escape this elitist tendency they have. The Democrats are increasingly where, um, like the sort of corporatists and and people that would uh, believe in free marketism in a very establishment sense will turn um, because they're increasingly getting abandoned by like the very populist and like protectionist and stuff Republican Party. Not that I hate uh, protectionism, um, which I think has there's some valid things about it. The point is, is that as this alignment happens, one of the things that's interesting to me is like. Let's go back. Let, let's d- d- get rid of the labels. Right. Go back to what actually people uh, believe about, um, like, where, where their worldviews come from. And if you look at the way that, like, business people think of – the way that uh, someone that has money thinks about paying for something is what is it worth to me, Right. right? And the ability to spend more on something that has value to you is what comes – with money, you know, you get yeah, yeah. you get freedom, you get license, but 
You also, like, it, it doesn't radically change what something's worth to you. If you try to, to um, go to a rich company and ask them for a raise, they won't give it to you because that's... That's how they got that, that way. Exactly. Yeah. That's how they got that way. There's a logic to it. And it's not even a bad logic. It's like Bill Gates where he's like, buy him out, boys. <laughs> <laughs> you think I got rich by writing a bunch of checks? <laughs> And well, and speaking of Bill Gates' uh, you know his his Batman, his Joker, um, there's a famous example of Steve Jobs it, uh, that uh, you know at some developer conference in the '80s, someone asked him, "With the company doing so well, why aren't we paying our employees more?" And Steve Jobs' retort was, "Well, why don't you ask your manager why you're not worth more?" You know, yeah. and the idea is that this is fundamentally how capital, as a class, as a mode of thinking, approaches the idea of paying for something. And so when it comes to taxes, which used to be and possibly still is the real thing that divided and even defined uh, liberal from conservative, um, I think that one of the big problems that people don't really address that much is that the, the value the, – no one, no, one no one ever tries to sell taxes on according to this model. What are you getting out of it? Right. Um, the only thing that you ever hear is basically propaganda coming from like right wingers right. about how taxes have no tangible output um, and no and they don't and they do no good and the government could screw up uh, like a one they could screw up a one car uh, funeral, <laughs> but 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 no one ever thinks about like respecting the impulse to not pay taxes because it's going to go to waste. Right. So here's what this thought is basically: if you were to um, sell the idea of taxes like you're going to pay into this the public coffer and there's going to be measurable outputs on the other side that you're going to see and we're going to, that we're going to, we're going to publicize yeah i think that it would be more it would i don't know if it would take away a leg of the stool that anti-tax people sit on because obviously they just don't want to pay taxes right the they motivation want is to not to their money yeah they want to keep they want to retain more of their earnings they don't want to give it to someone they don't know Obviously, that's the um, like ninety percent of the motivation. But in terms of the ten percent that like that is the intellectual justification for not paying taxes, it's more compelling by the fact that we don't have any government accountability. Right now, the uh, you know the the unsaid thing here is that like there is a ton of good that that redistribution does. I mean, like we're talking a lot now as they're debating you know the future of Medicaid about all the good that comes, all, all the positive outcomes that come from like. You know, having more people covered, you know, right, and all, none of and and that doesn't even start to mention like fucking super fund, you know, with like the EPA has right. and, and and other there's there's a lot, and so if these outcomes of government um, programs were more publicized um, and more directly tied to taxation, I think you would be able to start to move the needle on some of the intellectual case against big government. Uh, and when you dig into that question, and this is the end of my point, and then I'll stop talking. Yeah. When you dig into that question, what you find is that there really actually is very piss-poor accountability. The Government Accountability Office has basically no power. Yeah. Um, Peter Orsag and a different guy, I forget his name, a couple of years ago wrote a, a, an op-ed, and they were like, the one of the biggest changes that you can make to the government, like forget like introducing a new spending bill or whatever, like – just make it so that this spending is more accounted for right. in terms of results. Have it be um, under the auspices of something that in, in good – I mean this is idealistically speaking, but like in good faith can say this program's working, this program's not working. 
cut it where it's appropriate, launch laboratories, a lot like Medicaid does. You know, a lot of these like local instances of it are, are laboratories for oh, yeah. providing care. I, I mean, my, my job, again, <laughs> it's like that's like we try to experiment all the time with like how to just say, honestly, how to save the government money, like how to maximize the amount of money that we get to save, like to save it. You know what I mean? Like how can we go the longest on the shortest amount of dollars? And someone can in an actuarial yeah. sense go compare your data, your outcomes versus that, those of someone doing the same job in Portland who's trying a different tactic. Right. Which works for the Portland population. Right. right. Uh, and, and, yeah. But you but you gain intelligence. And this is yeah. happening. That, this is not an idea. Like that is already underway. Yeah. The point is, is that if, if I think um, given that like liberals right now uh, in the Democratic Party has no direction. Like, there's just nothing going on. Right. Um, I think that one direction that it could go in, especially as it starts to embrace uh, its role in this reshifting... Wait, one direction? You don't know you're beautiful you know you That's what Tom Perez says in the mirror every morning. Tom Perez, you're ugly. Your yeah. body was wrong. He's yeah, like, give Keith Ellison the job. <laughs> give somebody the job. Ideally, what you, who you give it to is someone who has... Uh, I don't want to say corporatist, but an economic sensibility, someone who understands uh, cause and effect are inextricably linked and, like, who doesn't hate the idea of, like, enterprise and stuff like that, but who also totally understands the necessity of, of redistribution. Give it to them because I think that if you were to start to pivot the push for, like, f- public dollars towards let's just – Figure out what works and 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 talk about it when it does. Fix it when it doesn't. Be a lot less conservative in terms of like you know Democrats never want to cut anything because it's like a concession right. to Republicans. Right. Cut stuff that doesn't work. Or they don't want to cut something. I mean, to concession to Republicans, or it could potentially be like it's like well, this is the difference between like people like living and dying. Or if like, it's uh, that, then yeah, uh, that's exactly the kind of thing we need to sluice yeah. out. There's a lot of fraud, waste, and abuse. Uh, there's a lot of programs that don't work. I mean, there's a lot of programs that they want. Like, there's well, there have been mortgage pro- programs that Obama launched that basically no one signed up for. You know, like oh, yeah. mortgage like, financing. Yeah. Figure out what works and what doesn't. I know this happens to some degree, but if that became the new push instead of just taxing and spending, I think you'd be able to build a social consensus, which, as we've learned recently, is the only consensus that matters for. Uh, being able to actually do that more, and then you do it more effectively because you'd be speaking the language of people of, of capital, basically. Oh, yeah, I well giving I, value I, to what they're saying. I, I agree with you, but to the flip side of that, I agree with you to a lot of points. But here's the flip side: is like the 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 full side of capital is that like a lot of these a lot of the obscurity I think exists in you know maybe this is a different perspective, but like a lot of the obscurity that exists in. In government accountability spending and just accountability is that, like, they purposely want it to be obscure because it's, like, you don't want to find out how much, like, your tax dollars went to pay for, like, a fucking drone missile that, that killed, like, a, like a, a small village in Pakistan. And, like, That's exactly and, my point. Yeah, but, no, I agree. But, like, but here's my point is that there's there are a lot of more, like, established institutions that are, like, out, that do not want just uh, the garbage is in the other. I'm just leaving over there. Right. Uh, um, that, that don't. That are purposely obfuscating like that account. Of, so, so you're saying though, from a political standpoint, you, you, the our argument shouldn't be liberals should be like we need to tax more and take care of people. It's like we should just be accountable and we should spend money on stuff that matters. We're spending so much money. Like, yeah, yeah. okay, the biggest way, the, like the biggest, I'm all in favor of like 
Medicaid for basically all. Like, you know, if you want Medicaid, yeah, you, you know, have it should it, be but, universal Medicare but, and Medicaid. But hands down. <laughs> but, but I also understand that like entitlement spending is like the main driver of like debt. And like, if there's anything, if there's any one sustain, unsustainable thing about our fiscal situation, it's entitlement spending. So we got to probably fix it at some point. I mean, like a year of Obamacare is going to have to pay for a year of Obamacare at some point. You know, yeah. like taxes and alpha. Yeah. And alpha. Um, there, it's it's not a boogeyman. Uh, I think that what I'm saying is like if we were to make it more account, if we were, if the focus politically were to shift on, put it this way, uh, touting the benefits, you know, trumpeting the successes of public spending, um, it would draw in a lot more ser- people seriously to the idea of why we should continue yeah. doing this. Yeah, and and being and the and by the way, stopping the military. From being able to say, hey, we're going to casually give Israel $55 million. I don't know how I feel about that. $5 billion a year. We're going to, you know, spend, um, you know, twice the amount that, you know, the entire West Coast spends on Medicaid on one defunct, you know, plane that can't even fly in desert conditions, you know. Like F-35. Yeah. Or any other fucking stupid shit they're cooking up, you know. They had an Osprey in, like, in the Air Force Museum, and I was like, I can't imagine the number of Marines that died trying to fly this fucking thing. And like, it's like sad. That's like we shouldn't laugh about it. It pales like, in comparison. Like, to like, just like how much money attempting to kill. Yeah, I know, right? Like, it's like I'm like, like, why did they? Why they're like, maybe if we make a plane a helicopter, like, <laughs> like, is that a good idea? Like, that'll be cool. Yeah, and it's like that's basically what the like people like the executive board of Lockheed Martin and Boeing are just sitting up dreaming all day. I was like, no. Like, <laughs> how else can we kill people? Maybe we could have yeah. some sort of suicide. Weapon. There's a cyber bullies then into uh, <laughs> fucking just killing themselves, running like running their uh, car while they're in the garage. Uh, well, yeah, no. So the point is, if, yeah. if that were the focus, I think that there it would it would change the the whole uh, argument for taxation in a positive direction. I would like to see it. It would also prevent the, the you know I don't really want to pay taxes to something that doesn't spend money intelligently either. So well, it's like well the same reason. So it's like. The, the reason why you and I are – like, I, uh, we're pissed off, like, seeing as, like, we can't – could potentially not see Social Security benefits and that kind of stuff. Whereas, like, the voting bloc in this country that has established that they're, like, well, like, they're anti-universal health care. But I try to explain to my grandma who – like, I'm like, grandma – you have you have Medicare like you have a universe, you have old people universal health care like you, the universe that you're in the sh- yeah, yeah so the universe you guys have so has all we're just saying is that like you know how you have Medicare and you and grandpa who are like middle class people like can essentially afford like like you have had some surgeries that like honestly science is kind of like amazing like it's like it's kind of amazing my grandma's life I love my grandma very much but it's like also we all thought like last Christmas I was just like well like that was the last I saw grandma and now she's like doing better than ever and, and it's all because of like Medicare and because and because they could afford a treatment keep that, it going grandma yeah keep it going grandma, grandma Chris and also my my grandma Chris uh, who uh, was all, until recently a, an illegal immigrant <laughs> from where Be, from Ireland uh, really because because she she came here in like forty seven or forty eight. This is just, I can't like air too much like family shit on, <laughs> on, on the, but she is she, she's actually not a citizen she's a legal resident alien but like anyway so, so, she, so, that, so she, but she's the beneficiary these damn immigrants who are cutting the board and opens up ha- half two of this podcast yeah, this episode so, right. you know, even when I knew it was the bears I knew it was the yeah <laughs> even when I knew it was the bears I knew it was the immigrants even when it was the bears I knew it was the immigrants. All right. Anyway, so, anyway, so um, yeah, uh, solving problems as usual. Well, this has been our longest sewed. 
The, that's the, ep- the title of the longest chode. The longest chode. <laughs> like the longest day. Can we change it to the longest chode? The longest chode. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. Which all is right. like, uh, but anyway, I've been Brian Pisano. Yeah, I'm Leonard DeFranco. Thanks for tuning in to all our fans <laughs> in Djibouti. Djibouti! Djibouti, what's up? And I want to hear from somebody in Estonia. And again, if you do comment and if you listen through that, I will honestly send you 0.0001 Bitcoin. Get that BTC. Get that BTC. It's the currency of the future. Bye, right. everybody. See ya.